did the very first camera helicopter. The four drones were oh, a thing. Oh, dang. Wow. And that one sold, you know, I don't know, eight or 900,000 over two years sort of thing. Welcome to the Sent and Bent podcast. We are here with Andrew Miller, who is the inventor of the Arc Droid, which is our robot and our garage that has built half the stuff we've been doing recently. Including this table that we're sitting at. All the hexagons. All the hexagons, (laughs) yes. Every hexagon ever. (laughs) So I assume that the Arc Droid isn't the first thing you've invented, though. No, no. Uh, I've been designing and developing products for 30 years, and it's been in all kinds of industries. I've done toys. I've done, you know, industrial, medical. uh, You know, I had a vaporizer that sold really well. (laughs) Okay. So there's been a a lot of different things. The Arctoage is just a, a, you know, I wanted one. So yeah. I wanted a tool like that. So, you know, it made sense for me to build it. And other people seem to want it too. So <laughs> I mean, good. we like it. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Just, just from talking Clearly. to you in the beginning, it seemed like this was definitely a passion project. Because oh, you yeah. were hyped on it. I'm oh, sure yeah. you've done things before. Where you're like, I know how to make that. but uh. Well, yeah. <laughs> when, you know, when I'm inventing, like this, this one was purely for me. Like, I, you know, some of the inventing I've done and some of the products I've developed have been when I'm somebody's employee, right? So I'm designing and developing stuff for them, mm, um, right. you know. And, you know, that's, that's great. But, I don't, you know, you don't see the, the, the back end of it. This one, you know, I, it's, it's better. It's all mine. So, uh, and, when it, you know, when I say I invented it, it's pretty much me and one part-time programmer. And that's the, all the design and effort that went into that thing. Oh, wow. Right that's here. amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. That's really cool. What was the first thing that you made that was a success? Actually, I have one. My first patent, the first thing my name's on a patent for was a credit card inspection machine <laughs> built in the 90s. Um, because, <laughs> what would a credit card inspection well, machine no, do? For the, for the companies that manufacture credit cards. Oh, okay. Right? Because they, you know, they have to do quality control order. And the way it was being done at the time was there was a room full of girls wearing white gloves going flip, 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 flip. You know, looking wow. at the, 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 the credit cards for little errors, like scratches on the, the, the card stripe. And, and I was working for this credit card manufacturer. And I'm like, I can think I can fix that. Um, so, I, you know, and I found a, you know, cool company that made this all-in-one um, visual recognition module. Mm. And then you got to remember, this is in the 90s. So cameras were still not, you know, so they're digital cameras. You know, like yeah. modern iPhone is 100 times better than right. this, right? But I built a whole transport mechanism that moved the cards along sideways. Like you grab the cards from the edge and move them along, and wow. and would spit them out if they were bad or not. And and I even, and the two parts of the the, uh, the patent one was actually the tray um, would actually collect the cards without scratching them, mm. so you could keep the cards standing up all the way through the tray. Uh, and I, that was actually I found some some um, paintbrush material. You know those little edgers that you, you get for doing along the top of your wall? Oh, and they have like a little a triangle. Yeah, and tip. it's got a little fuzzy kind of surface to it. Mm-hmm. That stuff is perfect. If you line the edge of the tray with two strips of that, it'll hold the cards in place. But, but yeah, I, I think that patent was 1997 when that one got granted. So that's probably the first thing you would consider a success. The first thing that I designed that sold really well... Uh, I designed a little, uh, tiny little RC, um, uh, motorcycle that did wheelies. Oh, that's really? cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was working, this was when I was living in Hong Kong. I, w- I was working for a toy company. And so that, that, that's a great industry if you're an inventor, because every year you got to have something new. You got to like, it's all driven on innovation. The whole, right. whole industry is, you know, you, you, you know, you get, 
if you're lucky, you get three years out of a product before it's completely dead. Even if it's a huge hit like, you know, Bakugan or Pokemon or something, you know, like one of those things, you three years out of it sort of thing. Wow. And so, you know, every year we had to come up with 20 new toys. And um, and this one was something they, they had an invent or like a, an invention house from Japan bring them a little motorcycle that self-balanced that didn't have training wheels or anything on it they had a little gyro little mechanical gyro and it kept it up it wasn't very good but you know it mostly worked right and i made that work plus added in the feature of making it pull wheelies and then come down out of the wheelie when it's done so <laughs> that's you know, cool <laughs> so it was, looked looked like a little sort of a you know like a super motor a super motard type yeah dirt bike kind of thing and you can on your kitchen floor and go eep you know that's i want so, one of those right now <laughs> yeah i don't even have one wow <laughs> um that's a weird thing about me I, yeah i invent stuff but i don't i don't hang on to it i don't keep them like i once i'm done with it i'm done with it i'm moving on to the, the right. next invention but i also toy company also did a robot dog and a you know a couple other little robot ones and then i did a i did the very first camera helicopter before drones were oh, a thing dang. You wow. could buy, you remember when, you know, little tiny helicopters were yeah. the first thing that came out, little RC helicopters before four-rotor drones were mm-hmm. a thing. Um, I made, I designed the very first one that carried a camera. Wow. And that one sold, you know, I don't know, eight or 900,000 over two years sort of thing. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So there's a few things, but that again, I'm inventing for somebody else. That was they're, they're Right. Like, you were just yeah. an employee. You yeah. just got paid so. a salary or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you went to Hong Kong for? Yeah. Yeah. There? I went, yeah. I went there chasing a paycheck like anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, you know, I had had a, a prototyping and development business that kind of wasn't, wasn't, you know, doing all that well. And I kind of wrapped it up and, and I was at loose ends for about a year and a half. I was instead of, you know, instead of going off and finding another job, I ended up acting as a rally mechanic for a Ford Escort, Escort Cosworth, nice. which is a super rare, rare car in this part of the world. Yeah. So I was maintaining a rally car and kind of bumming about and not getting much done. And a friend of mine who had already gone to Hong Kong and done very well for himself. Like he went as an inventor mm. and, and took a product with him that he got royalties on and did it very, very well for himself. And I was talking to him on the phone one day and he says, well, why don't we just get you over? And two weeks later, I was on a plane to Hong Kong and, and then six months later we moved there and we lived there for 12 years. That's wow. a huge lifestyle change going from dirt bagging in the rally circuits in Canada to yes, Mitch. Yes, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> my wife loved it. Like really? my wife, my wife really loved Hong Kong. She misses it a lot. I don't miss it all that much, but, um, yeah, it was, it was good. You know, we landed on our feet. It was really kind of good. I, I landed on a nice little job, and we got a great little, when I say little, I mean little, like 400-square-foot apartment right on the water. Nor, like uh, Hong Kong, everybody thinks of Hong Kong is that, that, you know, really dense city sort of thing. Um, but it's, you know, if you, if you go north, there's big green areas. It's all, you know, you know, what they call country park, right? And inside that country park is all these little villages dotted around, um, and it, comes to it has to do with this you know old rule that's on the books that every every son of firstborn son of a Hong, indigenous hong kong person can gets the right to build a 700 square foot concrete cube basically <laughs> and um and uh, it's heavily abused because oh yes he's firstborn son yes for sure uh-huh uh-huh yeah for sure <laughs> you know and whatever but um so anyway i lived in one of those little villages and we were right on the right on the ocean lived in that wow. little tiny place for eight and a half years that's uh, cool but yeah, it was good. No, it definitely a good thing if you ever get the opportunity to move overseas or for a job, do it. You know, I, it, 
I don't regret it at all. At the very least, you know, I had 12 years of not paying Canadian taxes. That was great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's really good. There's no, to- uh, no income tax at all in Hong Kong? No, right? no, there is an income tax, but it's fairly low. Okay. Um, and it and caps out at about 17%. Mm, um, that's and, a different. Uh, yeah. well, well, the big one is no capital gains tax. So if you own a business mm. and are, your, your business is successful mm-hmm. and you can pay yourself in dividends, you don't pay taxes on those dividends. Oh, wow. That makes so much sense why the people who live there live there now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you know, part of it, yeah. Um, real estate is ridiculously expensive, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and things like that. And there's a few other things that are more expensive. And of course, it's small. But the cars are cool. Um, like, I saw seven or eight Ferraris a week, you know. And the, wow. there was a guy just down the road from me with a, you know, V12, uh, you know, uh, Aston Martin Vanquish, right? And, <laughs> I, you know, I, at the time, I was driving a Porsche. I had a Porsche Cayman S. So some days I would pull out on the road behind him and I would kind of badger him a little bit to get him to stomp on it. So, oh, my God, when he put his foot down. <laughs> just mm, so what a sound. <laughs> what a sound. <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, Hong Kong is a good place to go. And plus, that it gave me all the experience of working in China and because that's why I was there. I was there to... You know, facilitate the the, the comp- you know the American co- or the Canadian company's ability to manufacture stuff in China. So mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. like my I went through like a passport every year, and it was all just in China, out China, in China, out China, in China. You know, and then I come to come to the states for something or other, and the guy behind the motor is going, "Why are you spending so much time in China?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of live there. <laughs> yeah. So then, did you also make a bunch of contacts over there that you still have, oh, yeah. like to oh. help? Oh yeah. Produce the Arcdroid and stuff. Is yeah, the factory I'm using for the Arcdroid, I've been working with for ten years. Wow. They did my that aforementioned vaporizer. Right. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you're talking about successes. Uh, that one was my best personal success from a financial point of view. Um, that we, uh, I, I created a. This is back. 2011, 2012, when before vapor vape was a thing, so I created a vaporizer that looked like a Ventolin inhaler. <laughs> <laughs> Called it Discreet Vape, you know, and marketed well and sold well. And then I got out when the the industry started getting crowded and things right. like that. But you know, not yeah. I, I, I'm saying I don't have I don't have a, one of those little I don't have one of the vaporizers either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you don't have any other things that you invented except the Arctroid. Literally, I mean, and probably 20 years from now, I probably won't even have an Arctroid. Right. <laughs> you know, by that time, I'll have graduated to a Langmer table or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, the Arctroid just that one. That one again is that, you know that. That one was more of a passion project because it's something I would use, something I wanted, mm-hmm. right? You know, and and I, I built a tool that you know I knew was going to be handy and useful in my garage, and you know, obviously useful in yours, right? Right. So you yeah. literally have cut all of the hexagons, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of them. I mean, there's, yeah, <laughs> I've never counted how many are in there, but mm-hmm. a lot <laughs> just in this thing. Enough. <laughs> so, is your plan to make more and more products through the Arcdroid brand, or do you yeah. already have the next invention? Yeah, yeah, going yeah. Well, again, there's always inventions rattling around, but yeah, for I've, for the foreseeable future, I'm Arcdroid related. Mm-hmm. You know, I will keep doing Arcdroid. So I, I've got a couple of plans for extension on, and I've had a lot of people ask for a bigger one. Um, mm-hmm. Makes there's, sense. There's some difficulty with that. It comes down to rigidity, right? Right. The longer the arm is, the more likely that is going to vibrate wobble around wobble yeah around and things like that and also the farther you go out the more resolution you use because you've still only got so many degrees to work with and then you're multiplying it over a longer a earth. larger distance yeah. so that's part of the reason i, I kind of chose the, the size it is um it it fits really well um in the you know in the 
get most of what you want done yeah. sort of thing. Another update you've been talking about is the torch height control option, right? Isn't that, is that that's working soon? for the most part? Um, yeah. I'm calling it torch height compensation rather than torch height control because mm. a traditional, traditional plasma table uses torch height control where you, you have a, a target voltage that you enter in ahead of time. And then, you, you know, you can put in specifications for the, the size of the tip and, da, 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 and a lot, a lot of, a lot of, a lot, lot of variables. Um, Ours literally just tries to hold the height that it's at when it when it starts. Mm. So you only have three very you have a delay. So you wait wait you know one one and a half seconds for the arc to stabilize once the things you know blown the hole and started moving right. sort of thing, uh, and then gain and smoothing. So gain is just how hard it tries to follow the contours, and smoothing is you know smoothing it's you know making how, it not jump yeah up how and much down does it flat, flatten yeah. things out? And like I can take you know sort of like a six inch plate of steel and cock it up you know, quarter an inch on the other end, on, on one side and, you know, cut a five inch circle and, and, the, the, and the torch, the torch will and, follow yeah. around and, and wow. keep the height up. Um, it's not bulletproof yet, but right. it, it, it definitely, it's for work, you know, you're building a lot of stuff out of scrap, right? Oh yeah, so, all the time. <laughs> very, very handy so that it, you know, so that it'll, you know, transition across that. I kind of want to circle back to this very first toy helicopter with a camera. <laughs> you kind of, sure. You kind of glossed over that like this no big deal. I'm sure it happened a while ago, but what kind of problems do you have to face when you're, was the toy companies, did they just said, we well, want the a camera, or was it your idea? It was my idea. Like, I, I built a prototype and presented it at one of the, you know, the oh, okay. quarterly meetings kind of thing. So and you they went, built the whole that. thing. Yeah. And then yeah. by yourself? Pretty much, yeah. Yep. Did you uh, base it off of like an existing helicopter and then add a camera, or was it well? Like kind I, of at the time, I was working for a company called Spinmaster. Gotcha. And Spinmaster, you know, um, you probably might have heard of the Airhogs brand. Yeah. Right. They were they were at the time they were absolutely the biggest one in you know RC you know toy. They had so you know. many commercials on Nickelodeon. Yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> I grew up without TV, so I missed all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. This <laughs> does not surprise really, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, the uh, so working for Spinmaster, and they you know so there was a lot of different you know push to do you know more rc stuff and whatever and you, you know you're talking about the challenges the biggest challenge in toy with it in, above everything is cost right because 29.99 is a price point 34.99 is no longer a price point right mm. and you know that that is the single biggest thing that you you fight against with with toys is is the fact that there are set price points and it can't be expensive and of course all of the old guard people that have been doing this you know like for, oh, you know in in 1984 when we sold the uh, you know the Teddy Ruxpin da, 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 whatever those people they won't let you you can't you can't add a, a dime to things right so price is always a major issue um, and so at the time Spinmaster was selling lots of the the little Pico helicopters that that first came out and and. <laughs> In Hong Kong, we, uh, we have this area called Sham Shui Po. And Sham Shui Po is, um, Hong Kong is all about districts, right? So like, there is literally a goldfish district in Hong Kong. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. But Sham Shui Po is the go buy your weird little blinky electronic thing that makes lights and sounds district, right? <laughs> okay. uh, my, my friend Mark basically bought one of everything and then went back and bought 50 of all the cool things that he wanted. From, like, you know, so he he loves blinky light things. Shout out to Mark Tilden. <laughs> um, but um, he was the reason I was there. But so and, and but anyway, um, I you know I was wandering through Champ Chapeau one day and I came across they had these little 
well, they weren't particularly little at the time, but camera pens, right? Mm-hmm. So it was looked like a big honking fat Mont Blanc sort of pen, but it had a camera in it. It wasn't mm-hmm. a great camera, but it was a camera. I'm like, you know, bought a couple of those, experiment with it, and it discovered that it was light enough that if I redesigned the rotor blade a little bit and changed the, some of the geometry of the, 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 the helicopter, I could make it carry this camera. Um, so then, you know, so I did that and sorted it out. We, f- we, s- we found a company in China that was making these little camera boards and said, okay, here's the size and the shape and whatever that I want that camera board. Can you do that? And at, certainly at the time, Chinese companies would just trip over themselves to try and get an order from not so much anymore, uh, because well, then they're doing their own stuff now. Right. right. But, uh, when I got there, you could, you know, they would, they would do all kinds of development and things, everything like that in order to get you to get the, get an order for something. Mm. Um, and so they were really happy to develop this little camera board for us. And I designed a little foam housing around it originally and whatever presented it at the, the, you know, at the meeting and everybody loved it and whatever. And then, uh, and then, and then the, uh, then the, the, you know, the industrial design group got a hold of it. Right. And they, the first thing they came back with was a standard helicopter with a camera hanging at the bottom of it. And I'm like, everybody's selling helicopters. It all looks like, they all look like Airwolf. Do something different. So we ended up creating this really funky sci-fi helicopter mm. around it. And it actually worked all right and sold pretty well. Um, you know, and but, you know, one, two years it was gone. And, you right. know, by that time, everybody the, else was, some of the early yeah. drones were coming in and things like that. And, and now you can get, you know, a, you know, a 4K camera on a drone this big for 40 bucks, you know, and it's, yeah. it's nuts. So, right. um, but in, this would have been sort of 2008, ish kind of 2009 and so the screen would be in the controller then was it just well no it's actually just it just saved it to an sd card and you you duped it to your you duped it to your uh, computer and did things like that like in 2008 2009 like cell like smartphones were still only becoming a thing right right yeah Yeah, micro sd on board yeah so micro sd and it would and it would you know and it recorded in you know uh 480 uh, 640 by 480 i think and no sound because of course, the only sound you heard was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just the, the rotors doing their thing, right? Uh, and, huh. uh, but yeah, it worked out well and sold well, and uh, and then we did a follow up one that we put some like in camera effects, so it would do um, like fake Terminator vision with all the false color. Oh and, yeah, you know, so you could fly around your own, you know, zoom in your sister, and it looks like you know the ter- Terminator's getting heat map on you and whatever right. <laughs> stuff cool. like That's that. Funny. And you know, we did time lapse and a couple of little things and whatever in the in the follow up version. But nice. That's so cool. So what's <laughs> the the goldfish district like? Did you go there? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Hong, uh, Hong Kong's not that big. I've been to pretty much every district. I think it was actually just called the goldfish district. I don't think they actually had uh, like a proper Chinese name for it. Um, <laughs> but uh, the it was just a whole street of of pet stores, mostly which sold fish, fish and turtles and some other little you know pets like huh. whatever. And that Hong Kong, everybody lives in a you know apartment the size of this table, right? Mm-hmm. So so <laughs> not everybody can afford to or need, wants to have a dog, right? Um, so pets are fish and turtles and you know some guinea pigs and stuff like that. Right. But um, yeah, like literally a four blocks both sides of the street almost every shop is a is a is a fish shop that's and that's how they do it in hong kong for some reason i don't think it's the flower district and there's uh, you know there's champs po which is the the blinky lights this and mong kok which is the, the district you would love 
literally everything you could hear in this table you could buy on in Mongot. Mm. But you got to wander for a couple hours to find <laughs> you know, buy an individual parts. part for a individual, specific yeah, engine. Mechanical, just on the mechanical parts, steel fittings, plumbing, mm. stuff like that. You know, the sort of stuff that you and I would use yeah. on a regular basis. Mm. Um, and, you know, just blocks and blocks of all these little shops that, and, you know, and like the entryway to the shop would be 10 feet wide, but it would be 70 feet deep, right? And it would just, we'd be <laughs> just crowd, an aisle like, of it just stuff. an aisle of stuff stacked everywhere. And, and, you know, and there were days where I'm like, oh my God, my kingdom for a Home Depot. <laughs> because it was just, you know, like you would end up like, I, I, I had a couple of like fitness trackers at some, at one point where like you, you, you would get your little map of where you've been that day. Mm-hmm. And I, I have one, I think still kicking around in my Facebook memories where I'm just up and down Moncock for two hours, <laughs> just, looking just for parts. trying to find the stuff I need because it's not all in the same damn shop. Right. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, and there's a district out in the North, um, uh, where the, where the, where all the, like the wrecking yards are, where mm. the car breakers are. Where right. They, and like I said, Cool cars in Hong Kong, right? Right. So they, we didn't, you know, none of none of the boring SUVs and stuff that you have here. A lot of luxury vehicles, and then plus all the cool Japanese stuff. Right. right? My rally car, the the one that I just crashed, um, <laughs> it was is JDM uh, WRX. That right. was my daily driver. In right? Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, and you couldn't nice. get you couldn't get like it's a GCA, like a like yeah, a yeah. '90s one. You couldn't get those in North America. They didn't come to North America. Right. Right. So. You know, that was my, my daily driver was a car that, I, you know, when I was younger, I went, oh, man, I wish I could get that one. Whatever. And, and then I turned it into a rally car and then rallied mm. it from Malaysia for a while and then shipped it back here and rallied here for a while and then a couple of months ago rolled it into a tiny little ball. Yeah, I saw that. that, that uh, <laughs> looked, is that <laughs> like fun? A full restart situation? It is repairable. Uh, the issue being, you know, finding good panels, right? Because for like such a rare car, ninety-five, you yeah. know, uh, and you know everything in my part of the world is rusted to death, right? Yeah. Um, so like, it, like finding a, even a two point five RS, which did come here, no, not gonna find a good one. Um, but I recently hopped on a plane, flew to Edmonton, and did a three-day bonsai drive back to where I live in a nineteen ninety-eight GDM WRX that is pretty clean. Not so clean that it's a shame to rip it apart. <laughs> so and, and I, I don't know. I think Will was still pretty sad that you're tearing it apart. Uh, it's a four door. He he only wants oh, a two okay. door. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, he was he was all upset that he, he couldn't get my door cards. Yeah. <laughs> right. He, that's that was the first thing he said. He, he was <laughs> like, "Does that, he have door cards? I need that man's door cards." <laughs> that being said, the door cards are in really good shape and still for sale. Oh, call me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but anyway, I, I I pulled the car apart and I so like I, the decision is. Do I tear apart this car to get the panels to fix the, the original car, or do I start with the, the new car? And I think I'm going to start with the new car because it allows me to change a few things that I didn't get with, didn't get. And do it better, yeah. Yeah, do it better, do it bigger, you know, things like that. So it's more work in, in a lot of ways because, you know, I've got to prep the shell and things like that. Yeah, and build a new cage. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, but it's, you know, I, I'll, I think I'll start with it. And But, you know, everything from my car bolts onto it. So I don't, you know, a All lot the mechanical. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the expensive stuff, like the engine and things like that, I don't, you know, I don't have to, to go start that from zero. So, nice. but, so that's, that's what I, you guys, you guys do dumb stuff with Barbie Jeeps. I do dumb stuff in old Subarus. I mean, I started <laughs> doing dumb stuff in old Subarus. <laughs> Just a low, low, low budget version of that. But <laughs> I, I also rolled a Subaru into a ditch, so. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It didn't have a roll cage, but 
I've rolled a rally car twice, and and bo- first time was in a rental. <laughs> that cost a lot. Oh, um, but uh, I didn't even know you. you so like you, you can rent rally cars to do. Not or, easily. Yeah. I rented from a friend. Oh, who is thank God still a friend. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, is that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but um, both of my roles happened the same. Um, and kinda. you can't insure that, right? Oh God, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah, I was like, maybe there's, there's no some really expensive insurance, but no, no, um, no the, the 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 basically what happened in both cases was got into the corner a little too late. Uh, in in the first case, it was because the weather was bad; things were very slippery. In the second case, it was because I was catching dust from somebody else and it was mm-hmm. low visibility. Get in a little too late, and I should drift a bit wide, dip the ditch. Yep. Right. And normally you could, you, know, you get a, you get, you know, okay, dip the ditch and just steer back into it, stay on the power, you're back on the road, you know, maybe brush a sapling or something like yeah. that or whatever, put a little wrinkle in the side of the car. In the first case, big rock. Mm. Ooh. In the <laughs> in, ditch? In the ditch. <laughs> Landed on the side in a river. Uh, in this one recently, big pile of logs. I saw that in the video that yeah, you sent. Yeah, yeah. I sent you the, I sent you the in car. Oh, at least you got it on video. Yeah, that was my co-driver. Had had a like a helmet cam. Oh, um, and, um, and it's a th- gnarly crash. And <laughs> thing, and, and eight G's, new personal record. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, we have a they, nowadays. You have a little um, like a they call it a rally safe box that the organizers give you. Everybody puts it has to put it in their car because it tracks the car all sure, the time. Sure you're and on it course. has and it has G sensors in it, so it'll register an impact and and you know alert the organizers that these guys have gone off. There's possibly a problem. And then there's a big button that shows up on the screen. Are you okay? Push this, please. And, you know, my co-driver oh. pushed that because we were fine. Like, my, uh, my co-driver had a little scratch on his elbow, and that was it. Wow. I, got, I, I was more sore from, sore from the 15-hour tow home than I was from the crash itself. So. Wow. How did you get started and all that? It seems so intimidating. That's probably mostly because it's got to be expensive but well any racing is expensive yeah it's, you know like those, the, the old the old saying how do you make a small fortune in racing start with a big fortune yeah, <laughs> yeah I, i've heard a version of that yeah. Yeah, how yeah. do you make a how do you make two million dollars racing uh, start with spend, five yeah spend five yeah, yeah. or a million you yeah. spend two whatever yeah so, yeah yeah uh yeah that kind of thing but anyway um no nah, i just always thought it was kind of cool and then one day back in the early 90s i'm sitting on my couch watching tv and it, and it came on the sports channel and, um and the canadian rally you know it was oh hey cool watch a rally and then they flashed a you know for more information call the canadian association of rally sport and a phone number and for the first time in my life i had a pen nearby (laughs) (laughs) you know i wrote down the number and i called and they said oh yeah there's a club in your area a club that like five years later i was the president of um but um and i just you know you start you start off simple you you do road rallies where you don't you know you don't need a full-blown role you do navigationals which are it's not you're not you're not trying to go max speed, but you're trying to stay accurate. It's it's in it's cool driving. It's nice twisty roads and interesting gravel and stuff like that. But there's these random checkpoints, right? And you, if you get there early, you get points deducted the same as you get there late, kind of thing. So, um, and you start there, and then there's rally cross where they have a little right. closed course, and you can bring a you know a non caged car. It's really tight, small little course, and you can't get up you know too crazy speed mm-hmm. and whatever. And some people buy you know beaters and do you know it's basically your rally track is, is a rally cost course yeah sort of thing. Um, we maybe? actually just got invited to one that's happening here soon oh wow i forgot to mention that oh go standpoint yeah. uh priest river i think Dang. a rally cross yeah. bring the brz yeah. go go yeah. absolutely go it, it's a lot of fun um so you do that do, and I, I i use those as testing days now for my rally car because right. you know i can go out and get a bunch of seat time to to make sure the car's working right and things 
Um, and then, you know, and then you graduate. You, everybody tries to build a car right off the bat, and you shouldn't. Just buy one. Buy you somebody know? else's. Yeah, because, yeah. among other things, there's not a big market for used rally cars. So, you know, a car that costs 50 grand to build, you can buy for $18,000 three years later kind of thing. Oh, wow. You know? <laughs> Makes so, sense. I mean. So, you know, it's buy a rally car and go and have fun and, and, and get started. Um you know, and uh, there is actually a, uh, um, a rally group here in Idaho that has in, it's down south here, down in the southern part of Idaho. But Most uh, of Idaho is south. Yeah, yeah, there, there is that. <laughs> there is that. Um, but there, you know, I actually looked into the idea, oh, maybe I go to that, uh, run that rally and then visit, and it was going to be too expensive. But and then you wrecked your car. And then I wrecked my car and it all went to hell. So <laughs> it's going to be, a co- it'll be another year or two before I'm, uh, I'm running again. But yeah, you know, and it just, you know, I've always been a, you know, cars and bikes and da 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 guy. You know, I bought my first motorcycle when I was 13 and told my mom I borrowed it from a friend. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and That's about when I bought my first motorcycle when you were 13. <laughs> it was 250 bucks. Oh, okay. That's a lot of money given it was 1983, you know, but uh, I'm old. If anybody hasn't noticed, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, so... You know, and rally just appeals to me more than track racing does uh, oh, yeah. or anything like that. It's just, you know, loose surfaces are a good thing. Actually, the, the best rally I ever did was we had the series back um, sort of 99 through 2003 or something like that. Uh, it was called the Winter Rally Series. And it was technically those aforementioned navigational rallies where you weren't technically racing. Mm. But take your little gravel cottage road out that you've got out here in front of your place. Two o'clock in the morning, February, average let's say 48 miles an hour. 48 miles an hour doesn't sound like a lot. But average on ice in, in February. The, in yeah. the dark. In, yeah. on, in, you know, in That's fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, technically it's below the speed limit, mm, you know, on right. a lot of these roads, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so, you know, like the, we, we would aim, try and find roads that were 80 kilometers an hour, which is 50 miles an hour, right? right. And, and the rule, the, the sort of the rule was 10% below the speed limit would be your maximum average speed. So 72 <laughs> kilometers an hour, whatever that works out into you know, funny freedom units. But yeah, it would, you know, so you would start at 10 o'clock at night and finish at like six in the morning. And the idea was to try and run the whole thing on time all the time. Right? right. So when you came over the crest and there was a random checkpoint and you slid past the checkpoint, you didn't want to be early and you didn't want to be late because if you're early, you get, points if you're late you get points and the idea is to have the smallest possible and it was crazy competitive like huh. everybody like guys we really like um you know i'm i'm proud to say i won quite a few of them in a two-wheel drive car like there was one rally i, I beat 26 subarus and 14 audis in a two-wheel drive mini <laughs> so um we were just talking about two-wheel drive rally the other day yeah <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> uh, because the BRZ we're building? Maybe. No. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Is that a secret? <laughs> no, we'll have talked about it on a podcast previous to this. Yeah, this yeah. probably come out before the BRZ is released to public. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now, now there's we anticipation. To, yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, that now people are... are, yeah. are yeah. And now we might be able to bring it to SEMA, too. So then we'll have to wait even longer to release uh, the video. There you so go. It'll, be, it'll be interesting. But yeah. but yeah, the podcasters, the hardcore ones, they know about it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've, we've always talked about, like, uh, you know, ideas of future builds and stuff on podcasts because the audience isn't big enough to, like, ruin the, you know, surprise. What, this isn't Rogan? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not that bald yet. Yeah, there is that, yeah. <laughs> hey, 52, still Gavidal. 
That, you, nice. Doing a lot better than me. No it. kids. That's, I think, the big thing. I don't have kids either. Yeah. yeah. Mm. No, I'm 52, no gray hair, and still got most of it, 95% of it. Yeah. So. Probably. Whereas everybody, I know, all my all my colleagues and peers that are similar age were gray <laughs> 10 years ago because they have children, and <laughs> that really just sucks the life out of you. <laughs> <laughs> it adds a lot of work to the workload, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, well, I've got a rally car, and, and they don't. So, That's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So rally car is your children. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and the money goes money goes into the wheels instead of into the soccer practice and the exactly. hockey and whatever. So. <laughs> well, you guys, yeah, seriously, you, you guys are interested in rally. You should give it a try. You know, like you can you can actually uh, like I could probably hook you up with somebody to rent you a rally car. <laughs> you know, and it's actually not that hard to make that BRZ legal, right? In fact, there was a guy. Well, the cage needs to be fairly specific. Right. Um, uh, But there was actually a guy in uh, Canada that was uh, rallying BRZ up until last year and decided he was going to go four wheel drive. He was fast, too. Yeah. Um, The Sear brothers. And he was really good. Was it turboed or supercharged? No, straight out of the box BRZ. He ran production class and he was running, he would be running top 10 times in a a Canadian regional and and do almost as well in in a national rally. So wow. just uh, upgrade a suspension cage. Suspension is everything. Brakes. Yeah. Suspension is everything in rally because I'll be interested to have you drive this while you're here, even just a little bit. Sure. Because the suspension we got, we've never. It's like a new brand that we've never heard of or worked yeah. with. It's called Flat Out, and uh-huh. they do rally suspension for Subarus and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, just based on like how tall it is and how much travel it has, it has a ridiculous amount of travel for a BRZ. Mm-hmm. I was really expecting it to be cushy, and it's not cushy. No. <laughs> Which is probably well, normal for rally. Like yeah. it's not supposed well, to be big, cushy. Biggest thing speeds. the BRZ's got going against is the size of those tires. Yeah, they're it's, big tires. It's hard. Them. It's hard to go fast on tires like that. Yeah, um, I mean that's for looks. Obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, looks gnarly. Yeah. Safari, all the things. I'm, I'm yes. a total. I have, I have a, I have a uh, 1984 Rolls Royce sitting in my driveway that I have intentions of one day safari putting, yeah, yes. putting big, you know, 32 inch boggers yeah. on it and, and a big freaking 671 blower sticking out of the hood, mm, it flat yes. black, you know, you know. Total Mad Max thing. That would be really nice. Yeah, <laughs> I'm probably not going to get to it. I can do many things, but but in the brain it looks good. In the, up here it looks really good. Yeah. Maybe I donate it to Grindhard and Grindhard does it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Got any, got, any, got any desire for a Rolls Royce in your driveway? I mean, we have just about every other brand of car here. <laughs> well, the Rolls Royce is just unbelievable. Like one day I would like to get a hold of their engineers and have words because (laughs) there is 12 miles of plumbing under that thing. The braking system is ridiculous. First of all, it doesn't have a master cylinder. It has two pumps on the engines that create pressure, right? That go to a couple little accumulators, right? It has, it has two brake fluid reservoirs and you know, in a a normal car, brake fluid reservoirs this big, it holds like, you know, 300 milliliters, 400 milliliters. Both of them are a liter and a half. (laughs) <laughs> why mm. is it slightly <laughs> quieter <laughs> no and then in each front wheel has two calipers on separate circuits and each rear wheel has a caliper that has two separate circuits in it and the rear suspension shares the fluid not shares the same type of fluid shares the same actual fluid as the braking system for the suspension for the sus- rear suspension does it have like ride yes. control? Yes, it has self-leveling, yeah. self-leveling rear suspension, right? So it uses the pressurized fluid, da, 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 da. And so when you push the brake pedal, it's just bleeding pressure to the corners and whatever. Um, and of course, because they're all intertwined, there's all these valves. There's a priority valve and a leveling valve and, and a left bias valve and a right bias valve and a front bias valve and a rear bias valve. Da, 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 da. And of course, because my car is Canadian, it's rusty as hell. 
And so all none of the valves work. <laughs> yeah, they're all rusty and none of the valves work. And one day, it, you know, it locks up this corner and the other day it locks up this corner. And then sometimes it doesn't work at all. And, <laughs> you know, and it leaks every fluid in it. And of course, the that aforementioned two one and a half liter jugs are it's this weird green unicorn pee that, <laughs> that you have to buy for nineteen dollars <laughs> or nineteen pounds a liter in the you get basically mineral oil. Yeah. I gave up and just started dumping baby oil and like like I just buy like mineral oil from the drugstore and dump it in. It works <laughs> fine because it leaks it out fast enough that I don't care. <laughs> you know, so and it leaks transmission fluid and it leaks engine fluid and it leaks coolant and it leaks everything and it's rusty as hell, but. I bought it for $4,000 and used it as my winter beater for a couple of years. So it doesn't owe me anything. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. When I was, when I was tearing apart this Jag V12 engine, there was so many things. I was like, what were they doing? Yeah. The engine, like this engine had a completely arbitrary assortment of metric and SAE bolts. Mm-hmm. Like the casting, the threaded holes in the block. Some of them are metric. Some of them are not. Uh-huh. Why? Because that's the parts they have. I guess I don't. I don't it know. makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. My rolls is ridiculous. Like, and it's just, it's just, like, you just, certain. And, and trust me, it's it's cool when you get out rolling. It just drives along, but floats along beautifully, whatever. And it you know drives great. And it's got a six point eight liter V eight in it, right? Wow. So this is gigantic. Yeah, uh, you know, it's I think four hundred twelve cubic inches. You know, big and it's huge. <laughs> and it just lumps along, no, doing nothing, right? It makes all of two hundred horsepower. But it's the same block that the bent the future Bentleys were making 650 in, wow. right? So it's the same engine, which means, you know, I could, you know, pull that off and throw a blower on top of it. And or, so now I just got to get blower shop to send me a blower or something. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. you know? Or maybe I get like six of those little Chinese ones you put on the, on yeah. the Jeep and <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, stack them out of the hood. And <laughs> that would look really cool too. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> I think somebody did that. I, 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 I vaguely remember somebody may have done that already. I saw a turbo one. The, yeah, yeah, I was saw one where somebody eight turbo put Mustang, eight, eight, yeah. eight turbo Mustang. But yeah. there, I, somebody might have tried the, uh, the multi-blower oh. thing by now. Well, yeah. what projects do you have sitting around that you think will actually get done? What are the ones you're most excited about? Well, the rally car, I, I'm definitely building a rally car back up. Um, I have a 77 Ford pickup, you know, rusty patina, uh, version and, uh, that, that I fully intend to get back on the road one day. Um, I don't know. There's always things. <laughs> the, the most recent thing that you could consider a project is I built a steel grain bin for our barn. We have, we have pet goats mm. and turkeys. And lately, like I, I, I built a, a grain bin ages ago, just out of wood and whatever. And then, and they started gnawing through it and they went, oh man. Uh, recently, like in the last three weeks, I've relocated nine raccoons and 14 squirrels. <laughs> yeah. Just trap them and drive them 20 miles away or, you know, 10 kilometers away and dump them. But I finally, uh, screw it. I got to build a, you know, steel bin. So they, you know, I took a, you know, a couple hours in and out. Like I, I, I envy you, you're doing all projects. Right. But of course all projects now. And right? so yeah. I'm sure there's some days where you would rather just sit on the couch and, you know, <laughs> oh, to be answering emails yeah. uh, or, or, you know, finish the siding on my house. After yeah, yeah, years. <laughs> there is that, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I've always got something going on. You know, like I, I renovated a, a, um, a, a little, you know, bought an investment property a couple of years ago. I renovated that. I, you know, I built my shop, the shop, the one, the shed that you guys see in the videos. That's mm-hmm. that I built that um, from from the ground up, designed that, and all in nice and CAD and everything like that. And then had to give it to an architect type person to put it in the format that the the, the local 
you know, oh. permitting people would accept. Despite the fact I had it in full 3D, like rotatable, you know, CAD <laughs> right. infusion sort of thing, and and they they get and then I got to get somebody to create these boring old 2D drawings to give it to. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so yeah, there's always something going, and yeah. um, you know, the rally car is probably the big project over the next year. So I'm Arctroid's keeping me pretty busy at the moment. I'm, I'm you know I do all the customer service and I handle all the you know, you know, development and design and admin and da 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 and all that other crap. So right, yeah, <laughs> I imagine that takes most of your time. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, you guys know what it's like to run a small business. Yep. Oh yeah, yep. well, you got employees now. I don't know how. Oh to yeah, do. you do. <laughs> fancy. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't have any. I don't have any local employees. I got my the uh, my programmer Igor. Shout out to Igor, um, who is an absolute genius. Like the arc droid would not exist without him. Like, like you know, I've been like, I want this, 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 and this, and this, and he goes away, and I call him a week later. Oh yeah, I haven't got to that yet. And call him a week later, I haven't got to that, and then suddenly it shows up in my email, my email box finished, and whatever. But um, yeah, he's 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 the closest thing we have to an employee, but he's an equity small equity partner, and I just gave him percent because percentage because you know I wouldn't be here without him, kind of thing. Right. Um, and he does great work. Like he does some really considering like. The chip that's in that thing, you know, in that screen is mm-hmm. sort of cell phone circa 2009, maybe, wow. kind of thing. So there's not that n- elaborate, not not elaborate, not a lot of memory to it. Yeah. Not a, and, you know, we've managed to, and, and if we have the, the get the DX, well, it does work. Um, but uh, when we release that, like the DXF import, like a lot of the big tables don't even do that. Like Langmer's tables don't do that. Wow. So, um, you know. You have to bring in G code. You have to do the G code offline and bring it in. If we can, mm-hmm. there's going to be limits. You're like if you bring in the you know three wolves howling at the moon with stars and you know Cassandra yeah. written under it, kind of giant you know <laughs> thing or whatever. <laughs> that it's it, it, yeah it's, you know yeah. what I mean. You know, the, I mean well that also wouldn't fit in the space that well, you're. Yeah. Although I, I've reached the code limit a few times with all yeah. my hexagons. Yeah. That yeah. that last plate <laughs> that I did the bumper reinforcement plate, I had to like go back like four times into Fusion and like make it. Uh, like take the um, the parameters down. Like yeah, t- the big thing is the the, to- the tolerance. The tolerance, yeah. yeah. I had to keep keep making the tolerance because it sets it's, it sets the, it sets the tolerance at point zero one millimeters or four right. tenths of a thousandth of an inch. Yeah. So <laughs> one tenth of the thickness of a piece of paper right. is the minimum line length that it creates. Yeah. And. Yeah, that's stupid. Like yeah, for, for what? Yeah, I'm there's doing, no plasma yeah. cutter in the world that cuts something four tenths of a thousandth of an inch long. Yeah. I mean, even a laser cutter would yeah. be so, yeah, not so that accurate. Change that, change the smoothing. That yeah. helps a lot. Right. Um, you know, and that's always going to be a bit of a limitation, but most people, you know, as soon as they know that, they, they know that trick, then yeah. they're usually not a problem. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can still take, you know, 9,000 lines of code now. We've mm. changed some memory around a little bit, so we've got a little bit more. So 9,000 lines of code is a lot. Yeah. You know, you can do something <laughs> really complex with that. So, um, you know, it's, it's yeah. yeah. Like, I'm, I'm very, very pleased with the, the, the performance we've got out of it, considering the, the size and the, the limitations that we're working with. Um, you know, and it runs on, like, the, the, the underlying um, motion control system is Marlin, which is the same stuff that runs 3D printers. Mm. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, so... Um, so it's like, that's actually a, uh, that's a, you know, the license for that is a, is, is freeware sort of thing. It's a open use. So if anybody wants the control for the software for the ArcDroid, it's, it's available. Um, good luck on making it work <laughs> 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 because trust me, it was not easy. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, the first, the first one I sent you guys was, yeah. was a bit rough and it had, it had some, Kept had some foibles. Yeah, yeah. Kept putting lemons instead of cutting circles and things yep. like that. 
that 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 was definitely a major milestone was making that work right. Mm-hmm. So, what is the difference between so you when you did your helicopter, you just built it, presented it to the board, they said this is awesome, let's build it, and then you follow through with that process, get it built. But with ArcDroid, totally yourself, it seems like in the beginning, do you build the thing, then find investors to make it work right? I did it all on bank, man. I did it all out of my own pocket. Wow, that must have been scary. (laughs) Well, no kids, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, saving for somebody's future, so that. Yeah, uh, that, that, uh, that's that's handy, um, but yeah, the, the yeah that that the, probably the biggest difference is the money, right? When mm-hmm. when you work for a toy company, you know, the, I've seen I've seen the toy companies waste a million and a half dollars on a product that goes nowhere. Mm. You know, like it just gets, it gets killed at one of the final meetings, and like, nap done. You know, and they they've dumped a dump crap ton of money into designing and development and packaging and you know and you know all that stuff that goes along with it. Um, I think one of the one of the benefits of doing it myself is like I don't have anybody to answer for. Mm. Right. All of the, all of the design decisions are my design decisions. So one, they're fast. I don't have to sit in a meeting and argue for them for hours on end in order right. to have somebody decide. Well, I don't really think that's right, and then whatever you know. Um, so design decisions—they're fast and they're pretty you know pretty easy to, to do. And then also all the compromises in the, pl- the places where like. Again, I've sat in meetings where somebody has fought for a feature that, well, it's got to have Wi-Fi. Why? Because it's, everything has Wi-Fi now. It's got to have Wi-Fi kind of thing, you know. And and so I can make, like, you notice the ArcDroid doesn't have Wi-Fi. Right. It also doesn't run on Android, doesn't connect to, to iOS, doesn't have Bluetooth. And that was all a conscious decision. Right. Partly because I want you to be able to pull the ArcDroid off the shelf in 10 years and set it down, and it still works. Right, you, you don't, don't have ha- to have anything outside of it. Yeah, you don't have to go and update your phone mm. or download the new app, or or suddenly it doesn't use a, it uses a protocol that doesn't work anymore. Or you don't have the you know you don't have the password for the old Wi-Fi that it used to sign on, and now you get that sort of thing. So you know it was it was entirely the decision to try and try and make it something that was you know, self-contained. Use, self-contained and usable over a long term, right? But I guarantee you, if I'd been working with a team or like a group and, you know, in, you know, marketing company or something like that to design this and develop this, it, it would be a ca- capacitive touchscreen with Wi-Fi. And they would have wanted an app. Yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This was in Track the, everyone's data. <laughs> yeah, this would, uh, this 100% would have been part of that. And then, yeah. and then, you know, you know, I understand the logic behind some of the, those decisions that the, these sort of people make. But and you know, but oftentimes it's it's not necessarily serving the product to do that. It's only serving the the wouldn't it be cool if right kind of status. And I'm I'm a firm believer of building an adequate product as opposed to building a you know the best possible product. Right. If you're building a best the best possible product, you're going to keep development forever. You're never because you can't yeah it's, you can't keep it's up. An unattainable goal. And it's you're going to price a lot of people out of the like that's everyone the, basically. That's the other thing. You know, I also didn't want it to be forty five hundred dollars or you know seven thousand dollars to build this buy mm-hmm. this thing. You know that that's pointless. You know the, the part of the goal for the machine was to make it accessible for average Joe in a garage and and you know and you know the like if my my elevator pitch is there's three barriers to entry. One, these tables tend to be big and you could park a project where they are. Two, they're expensive, you know, five grand sort of gets you off the ground with most tables, and that goes all the way up to 150 if you want to spend the money, right. right? And then three, there's the learning curve on the CAD, right? And which you were 
you jumped right into it. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, um, so, you know, the simple trace aspect of things makes it possible for people to get started. Without any cat yeah. at all. Without yeah. Any, yeah, don't need the cat. I mean, that's what, that's like, I was, I was definitely planning on, we were planning on getting a plasma table at some point eventually, mm -hmm. but the CAD was definitely a thing. Like it, it was a reason that we didn't do it sooner because I didn't, I was like, I don't know if I have time to learn that while also trying to build everything. Mm -hmm. So like the, the idea of being able to just trace a thing, I was like, Oh great. I can just trace it and make it. And then, you know, the first time I traced something and it didn't turn out absolutely perfect. I was like, nah, I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the fault of your trace. Not exactly. The fault of no, it's machine. not the fault of your machine at all, but that's just the error of like, Physically, yeah, yeah. you can't. Well, I like do it I, I like to think of the simple trace aspect as like a gateway drug. Right. You know, like people see the potential and they can actually physically make the potential something. But even so, like, even something like blowing a hole in something. Yeah. You know, like there's times where you could just put the thing down and cut a circle. That's all you need to yep. do. Right? And I've done that you a know, few like, times actually. You know, and 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 you don't you don't need the fancy. You don't need to create a fancy. You just need to. Uh, I don't have a two and a quarter inch hole saw. Exactly. But yeah. I do have an art droid that'll blow a two and a quarter inch hole through something. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, and I've, I've used it to just cut little plugs like for end caps for tubing and stuff, or like ovals. Yeah. I mean that I used the I used CAD to get the exact right mm -hmm. ellipse, but like for mm -hmm. circles end caps you just. Yeah, yeah. Just in the drift trike episode, just yep. measure yeah. it. Go on the computer. Well, yeah, you did it. You did it in. The, you did it on the, uh, the the wheelie bar too. And I'm like, hey, it's replaced the piranha. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh right. Really yeah. Does. That's what I was. I was trying to remember what I cut those little end caps for, and it was the yeah, 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 it was yeah. the uh, wheelie bar. And the piranha kind of bends the steel around. Yeah, it yeah. Too. Because yeah. It's not it pushes it. It, it tears it, and it's not yeah. a perfect circle. Yeah, either. yeah. Because it's sheared, it has the tapered edges on it and stuff like that. And it's an expensive machine that takes up a lot of room yeah, for a very specific Yeah, try and find purpose, one of those so. used for under 20 grand. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So. It's not your average shop yeah, tool. It's, which not, is it's, not, it's not an apples to apples for the Arcturus, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, totally but. different. Thing. <laughs> yeah. So besides the, the money part and just being able to take off and build it however you want it, what are the other parts of, like, building the business and building the, like, doing the software and the customer support. And uh, it sounds like you're still doing a lot of it yourself. Yeah, I'm doing almost everything still myself. Yeah. You know, uh, I have a I have a girl in China that, that that handles operations and she handles shipping and things like that. Okay. Um, and then you know if I need to chase down a part or get a quote from a vendor or whatever, she'll she'll chase that for me. Um, and you know I just recently hired a company to do marketing. You know, mm -hmm. I, most of my marketing is doing stuff like, you know, giving you guys machines sort mm -hmm. of thing. You, you've been probably 50% of my marketing up to now. <laughs> so, cool. That's you awesome. Know, you know, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and the people who've won your machines on our giveaways too, they're, yeah, yeah. they're thrilled for it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so I've hired a company to do some, you know, Facebook ads and, and, you know, uh, revamp the website a little bit and get some more continuity in the website and stuff like that. Um, so that, that started. Um, but you know, I've multiple times in my life, I've started, a, 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 you know, some sort of venture, you know, some sort of entrepreneurial thing. Right. And, you know, I've tried most times to, to try and get a partner, you know, finagle a friend, you know, get an investor, da, 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 whatever, you know, I don't want to do this all on my own. And I almost end up always doing it all on my own anyway. Mm -hmm. So I just, I'm like, I just, you know, I'm just kind of resigned to the fact that that that's, that's the way I go. I'm sure you know, as we grow, I'm, I'm definitely not going to be able to keep it up, but, um, but I'd rather do it that way than, you know, than, you know, right from the start 
be beholden to an investor or have a, you know, a partner that, you know, that we, fo- that I fall out with, you know, two right. years down the road or whatever. No. Right. Um, you know, that I, don't get me wrong. There's some sleepless nights and, you know, there was some empty bank accounts for a little while and, and things like that. But my wife is very supportive and, you know, and I, you Clearly. know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, um, she's a jeweler. She makes, she does, she does her own jewelry. Oh, that's cool. Um, and, uh, she's really good at it too. Um, dogs with horns jewelry and do- <laughs> because we have goats, right? Which are oh, basically dogs just with dogs with horns. horns. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's yeah. good. Yeah. They, they, they're like dogs, less slobbery. Yeah. Less slobbery dogs. Yeah. And their, and their poop makes much better fertilizer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should see our tomatoes. Like, like <laughs> we have tomato plants that are this tall. Nice. It's just, they're just ridiculous because I've got goat compost all over the place. Right. Yep. So. Um, yeah, so the business, the business part of it is don't, you know, it's tough, uh, but I already had a lot of things like the, like I said, the factory I was using, I've been using yeah, for 10 right. years. I've, I, I've probably got a list of about 70 vendors in China that I've done business with over time. Yeah. And I know, and I know how to do business in China. Right. right? That's always, that's the thing that, that most people have that, s- like nothing, yeah. zero yeah, yeah, and that's what's good. That's you'll hear horror stories about. Oh well, I, I, you know, I, I tried to get it made in China, and the stuff they sent back was oh my god, you know, nothing like you know, it's like right. you know, half the size, more. and it's it has a lot to do with how you frame your sentences. It it honestly does. That makes sense. You know, and I I speak fluent Chinglish because I've sat in meetings with you know Chinese people and you know <laughs> and things like that. I don't speak actual Chinese like a Mandarin or Cantonese, Hong Kong Cantonese, and over the border it's more Mandarin. I, I, you know, I, I, I know some phrases and I can order something in a restaurant or whatever. But what I do understand is the tone of a, of, of a, mm. a situation, right? So you'd be in a meeting, right, talking about something engineering. And they, the engineering is good because a lot of the engineering terms are English anyway. So you, you can kind right. of, but, you know, I'll say I need this and I'll explain something. And then the two Chinese people will start talking, right? And I'll listen and I'll hear the, them start wandering off. You know, like talking what you said. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're they're heading in the wrong direction. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Back, 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 back. Yeah. <laughs> because because I pick up on enough of the words and enough of the tone of what's going on. That yeah. so that's helpful. Yeah. Um, and you know, and 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 then I also still had the Hong Kong business. I have a business in Hong Kong. Then that that I do all of the, the finances through. You know, and every month I you know I email my account a big stack of receipts, and he figures it out, and, and whatever. Hopefully, I'm making money. <laughs> you know, I think I am. Um, but um, you know, so running through the Hong Kong business facilitate again facilitates the, the cross border aspect of things. It's a lot easier to send money from Hong Kong to China or vice yeah. versa oh, right. than it is yeah. to send it from here. Right, okay. that makes a lot of sense. Um, so that's the reason I keep the, the Hong Kong. That's why the Hong Kong business is, is part of it. Um, and then longer term, there's probably some tax savings in there that I'll that'll be able to capitalize on. So you could come into it with a lot of confidence, knowing that you've brought products to market. You know all the people who are going to actually build the thing once you design it. I know like we've only known each other for about two, an hour and a half now, but if you notice, I'm a little cocky. <laughs> <laughs> so that, <laughs> so you might have come into it with a lot of confidence, even if you didn't have yeah, those things yeah. set yeah. up. Well, that, that's that. Honestly, that's the way you should go through life. Is it, you know, confidence. You know, you can get yeah. away with yeah. a lot. Like, well, look at Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Man's got no skills, but he's got all, all the confidence. The confidence. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I had I had enough there that it was it kind of, you know and. You know, it, it's obviously it's a risk, and you know, I had to, I had, I had to think hard about how I was going to handle it, and how we were going to do it, and you know, how much I was willing to go out on a limb to get things rolling, and that's p- part of the reason we did the Indiegogo, 
Um, not because I actually needed the money to bring it to market. I was going to bring it to market no matter what. Mm-hmm. But the Indiegogo was a really good gauge of... People's yeah, interest in yeah, it. Yeah, how interested are people, how willing are people to pick up on this technology and whether or not they think it's something yeah. that is going to, you know, going to match their, their shop and stuff like that. And, um, <coughs> you know, it, it went pretty well. Like, we, we, we didn't have a really big ad spend for the Indiegogo. Uh, I think we spent like 20 grand or something like that. It wasn't, wasn't big. But the Indiegogo was successful enough, and there was enough people that were on board. And even, even the, you know, like, and like we shipped on time, which never happens with kick, with yeah, crowdfunding, no, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, so not not only did we have a successful one, we actually had a successful launch, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, How and much did you raise with the Indiegogo? Um, about a half a million, I think, something like that. That's uh, really good. A little less, yeah. than, little less than a half a million US, I think. That's really good for a twenty thousand dollar ad spend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a, YouTube. Well, and, and some, well, so, well, so, well, 20, you know, some of that money went your way when I, because I sponsored the first video with right, you guys, right? right? Yeah. And yeah. that's, and that was a, a big part of the Indiegogo was, mm-hmm. was people had seen it on your channel. Yeah. Um, and that was really, really helpful. And, uh, and then you also let us steal some of your footage, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, I didn't have sure. any of my own. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're good at. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was, uh, that would, uh, that worked out really well. And, and, you know, there was some foibles when we first got it off the ground. You know, we had some issues with, with some little bit of workmanship issues and, you know, and I, because I couldn't go to the, fa- because of COVID, right? Oh, right. I couldn't, couldn't go, go to the factory and oh. because normally I would have gone and just spent, you know, the first week and a half at the factory. Make sure everything was done sure right. Yeah. Done yeah. right. And, um, and I even had, I had, like, I couldn't get into China, but I could get into Hong Kong. So I had, like, the quarantine hotel booked and everything, and I was going to fly over and, you know, be in Hong Kong. And be, So I was at least in the same time zone, and they could send samples across the border, and I could check them, and I could send them back and whatever. Jeez. And then Hong Kong changed their quarantine rules. Uh. And suddenly, instead of two weeks in quarantine, it's three and a half weeks in quarantine. And that was just, it, it just became untenable, right? right. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, you had to have the official government quarantine hotel, which which were solidly booked. Like I was lucky to get the, the two week one, but mm. now you need an extra week and change and there is no, there's no slot. To no book. slot. Yeah, right. So, you know, so I was essentially, I was, I was kind of owned. So I, I did a lot of late night, you know, zoom calls and, and they use WeChat, which is similar to WhatsApp or whatever here. And, whatever. Mm-hmm. and I have a, I have a Hong Kong phone with WeChat on it. And that's my, that's my China phone. And I would be up at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you know, um, back and forth with, with them. Um, so that was a little bit difficult because I'm not a nighttime person, <laughs> but, um, didn't you, didn't you name your company 2AM Innovations though? That's partly because I had a company named AM Innovations back in the day, and this is the second one, so it's 2 a.m. AM, Andrew Miller, right? I thought you told me it was um, because you came up with the idea in the middle of the night or something. Wow, like that, that's, that's a good story. Is that, oh, that's a good story. Oh, okay. I, I do occasionally come up with ideas in the middle of the night, and yeah. then I roll over and can't get back to sleep, which is annoying, but... Um, no, I'm a morning per, I'm one of those evil, evil morning people. I get I'm out of bed at morning. like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning mm. and I'm, I'm functional in 20 minutes. Whereas yeah. my wife gets at it, you know, seven forty five, and it isn't functional until nine thirty, kind of thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? I can relate <laughs> getting up early part. Yeah. <laughs> but so what's the good story? Is it the AM story or the Arctroid story? Well, no, just the, the, the it, it makes for it. the two it o'clock in the morning. It, it just makes for a good story is the idea that I came up with it. Too. I don't know when I came up with the idea. I honestly, I, you know, it was just one of those things. I come up with a new idea every week. So, you know, they, to, right. me, to me, they're not all that special. It's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, you know, that would be cool. And then I sort of looked at it. And the thing is, I kind of, 
I had in my head, I'd seen a YouTube video somewhere. Like the the the, ar- the robot style, this is, is called a SCARA arm, which is mm-hmm. selectively compliant uh, articulated robot architecture or something to that effect, right? Um, and you'll see them a lot. Like you'll see industrial versions in like chip factories and stuff doing pick and plate, you know, like yeah. this sort of thing. Um, and I had, I'd seen a video somewhere on YouTube of a, um, uh, a, uh, a parallel scar arm. So it was instead of the motors stacked on top, the motors were side by side, mm. right? And it was doing, you know, fancy little, put this thing here, put that thing here, put that thing there. And I had that in my brain. And I knew that, I knew that existed. And then it took me three weeks to find that stupid video again. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. And, and, and you know, and the plasma part of it is because, well, you know, I'm a car guy and I'm a, you know, a yeah. fabricator guy and I wanted a plasma that I could cut crap with, right? Yeah. And, and the other, the other nice thing about it is um, for some processes, you need, you know, you need these high resolution, high rigidity, sort of like, so CNC milling aluminum, you know, like it's, it's hard to build a small portable CNC mill that can mill aluminum. Because yeah, because it has to have withstand it, crazy forces. Yeah, of it's like got to have mass. And vibration right? and all that. Yeah, yeah. it's got to have mass and it's got to have rigidity and stiffness and things like that. Um, you know, and laser cutting. Lasers are crazy precise, right? So you better you better make sure that the rest of your mechanism is crazy, crazy precise. Yeah, yeah. Plasma is inherently sort of a low resolution process, yeah. right? Like it's not it's not dead nuts perfect compared yeah, yeah. to to laser and milling or water whatever. jet or whatever. So I knew that I knew that you know the, the mechanism didn't have to you know attain some crazy level it, it actually turns out zero zero one turns out yeah. to be pretty darn good actually we ended up getting much better than i expected it to mm. um so when it's properly calibrated it you can get it you know you'll get your your square will come out you know within you know a couple of thou right. you know which is pretty impressive um or less um so yeah so the the you know i i knew that the the, the mechanism matched the need pretty right. well um, and it was, you know, it, it folded up, it's small, it's portable, it's relatively easy to manufacture, da da da, da. Um, It has a whole lot of other issues, <laughs> predominantly being the math for it, right? Like right. if you're doing a, a Cartesian or like an XY yeah, style system, yeah, you move a millimeter that way, it moves a millimeter that way, that's all it matters, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's linear. Yeah, but to move a millimeter that way in, in the ArcDroid, there's, there's an equation like this, yeah. and then there's the calibration factors, and then there's the, you know, and then and the, the part of the reason we do the calibration triangle is because error is nonlinear across the, the uh, there's this whole little weird little heat map that my programmer showed at Igor, <laughs> you know, we'll be able, we could be able to show you. Um, we struggled with that. Man, we struggled with that to try and the get... Calibration. Get those thing. factors right so that you ended up not cutting lemons, right? right. You know, you, you had the lemon problem, um, which turned out to mostly be a mechanical issue. But um, the, uh, you know, the the mass that goes into it is really, really difficult. So it makes it it makes it kind of hard to, to get that part of it done. But the mechanism is very robust because it's all just bearings right it's all round it's all sealed bearings i don't have i don't have lead screws which are difficult yeah. i don't there's no wiring that hangs out of the yeah, machine it's all inside that tiny all, little box, in, yeah. all inside the box the first the first one that you sent i took it like all the way apart when yeah. we were trying to forget what for but mm-hmm. one of the things we were trying to solve i just i completely took it apart i was like wow that's not that complicated mechanically, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. mechanically speaking <laughs> well even that well nothing you know it's you know it may look not that complicated, but there was definitely some complicated decisions in the way it was oh sure designed, yeah of course sure. i just mean like that it's yeah a fairly simple shape of system yeah yeah i tried i tried to make it 
and that makes it robust, right? right. Like, exactly. You know, um, one of the things with tables that have linear actuators, like you know, screws and stuff, and, and whatever on them, or long belts or things like that, is they need fairly constant maintenance to do mm-hmm. things to, to keep it up. Especially in an environment where you're getting covered with like metal dust all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And and bits of liquid metal and water and everything else. Yeah, it's not it's not exactly conducive to the clean and smooth operation of no. things. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of, you know, it was difficult to try and meet all those compromises. And I, the big, the, I think one of the big things that made a difference is the, is the arms are now castings. Like the right. first unit you know, was, I sent you, it was, it was a, an assembled arm. Yeah. And it, it was, was like just an extrusion a, and then some yeah, bolts. And, yeah, yeah. It was really difficult to get that fabricated arm consistent and straight and everything else. I'm st- the castings still, you know, I'm still trying to teach the factory how to make sure that they, you know, all 500 that they manufacture are the same as opposed to the first 200 are different than the next three. Uh, so that's st- that's still an ongoing QC uh, chase, but, you know, it's, it was definitely the right decision to, to, to go with the castings. It definitely, you know, it uh, improves the overall rigidity and stiffness of things. And looks cool, too. Yeah. <laughs> so. so what type of manufacturers are you reaching out to when you go on Alibaba? Let's say you find an electric dirt bike and they'll, you know, make little custom things for you and little... You know, they'll do different colors and plastics and stuff. You just go on Alibaba because some of them have, like, the option to buy 10,000 units. Mm. Are you honestly that way? Is honestly, that you know what I do? I use Alibaba as, as a research tool just to see what's available, and then I, then I go through some of my more traditional okay. contacts. One of, the, one of the things about Chinese factories <laughs> is they all know another factory that does that thing, mm. right? So, you know, like, my factory doesn't do any CNC work. But they have like five factories they work with that do CNC work, okay. so it's easier for me to tell my factory what I need, and have them farm it to the. They do their network. Yeah, to, to right. Their network. Rather than you trying to rather find than all me five. chase yeah. like you know, there's the bill of materials for this thing is this long, right? You know, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of components in the thing, and mm-hmm. if I if I go and chase every single one and get the ideal quote for every single one and whatever it's pain in the ass, um, but you know, like, like our motor manufacturer you know, connected, connected me with a, uh, a sensor manufacturer, uh, you know, because they, I needed a, I needed a, uh, a magnetic sensor that did, did what I wanted it to. Right. Um, and you know, so I'm, I'm lucky I've already got a network, right. right. Mm-hmm. So that I, I, I can kind of branch out from then rather than going straight to Alibaba to do it. Um, and one of the things you find on Alibaba is particularly on Alibaba express, which is the, you know, the retail thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of the companies that are advertising these things don't actually make the things. They're just trading companies that are buying things from somebody and, yeah. and putting like it up. Drop and shipping stuff. Well, no, no, yeah, they not, most of the time they don't even have it. They're just trying. They're just trying to rope in an order for ten thousand so that they can go buy it and make money on it, right? Oh, so that's why it that, always takes months and months. Yeah, to do so it. that's that's one of the, the the big difficulties with dealing with China f- remotely is understanding the difference between the manufacturer and the guy that's just trying to, you know, pimp a manufacturer sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, you know, obviously I've, got, I've gotten good at it over the years and whatever, and I, I, I already have a network and sort of thing. But most manufacturers were willing to do much below. Like if you find the manufacturer, not the marketing company or the, the trading company, you find the manufacturer, most of them will do low volumes. They'll just crank up the price on you. Which is fine, you know. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, right. that's fine. You know, like like the, the our motor manufacturer usually deals in MOQs of of twenty thousand, but I order a thousand at a time. Um, I pay three five dollars more than the guy that's getting twenty thousand of them. Right. But it's still from a cash flow point of view, and it fits in my budget and it matches and whatever. And I get the same super high quality. Like the motors we we've got our 
really good. Um, and they're way overkill. They're like literally three times the size they need to be. Um, nice. so, so that idea that we had a while ago of like putting it sideways on a tank and cutting a hole. That's there is actually possible. somebody yeah. in Texas who's done that. Oh, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> nice. it is. It, it's totally possible. Yeah. Uh, it's not designed for that. So sure. part, partly the, the Z mechanism, the Z mechanism won't work terribly yeah, well. It's, it's but, basically gravity. Yeah. It, it gravity assisted. It, yeah. It's, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's not designed. Mm. It's designed to operate this way, not that way. And the other problem is, is when it finishes cutting, it turns off the motor. So the arm goes, Oh, so you so have you, to be watching you it. You better really, be there yeah. to catch it. <laughs> but there, there's a guy in Texas that does boats that's uh, like, that's already done, done that. He's done, just cut that's some, really cool. He's, he's done it a few times. That's but, great. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I get that question about once a month. Yeah. Uh, can I mount it vertically? And I'm like, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Knock yourself out. <laughs> that's awesome. So your idea, getting an idea a week kind of thing, I did you always have that like even as oh, a yeah. kid or oh, is yeah, it something yeah. that you think as you do it more and more you like strengthen that muscle actually it, it's more like when i was a kid i would get an idea every two days or mm-hmm. whatever you know like i have crazy ideas all the time that was my thing you know i was you know and you know whether it's two days or two weeks or whatever i have lots and lots and lots of ideas the difference being when you're 17 years old 90 percent of your ideas are <laughs> you know, and like, you don't and you don't have any of the like information or skills yeah. to follow through with the idea. You like you have the idea and exactly. you're like this is really cool. Yeah. And it's yeah. first of all, it's not really cool. Yeah, exactly. Not nearly as cool and as you think. And plus it it's is. already been done five times yeah. and yeah. Yeah. no way it's economically feasible and yep. all that crap. And uh so yeah, so I, I definitely had, you know, um, I, I I tuned down my, you know, number of ideas has gone way down. Mm-hmm. But valid ideas and things that I, you know, are no, no, or I, I gave the, I gave a lecture way back in the days and a few times I used to, do, I did some robotics and stuff in a previous life and I used to give <laughs> lectures and, um, and, um, and part of the lecture was three P's possible, plausible, practical. So is your idea possible? Okay. It doesn't violate the laws of physics. It doesn't require transparent aluminum or whatever. You know, like it's like, it's, it's <laughs> yes, it's, it's possible to do that thing. Plausible is okay if we found the right people and the right equipment and the right materials and we managed to solve this problem, this problem, possibly we can get a product out of it. Practical is where I live, right? How do we make that idea something that is legitimately manufacturable or, or producible at a price and without and has a demand and, and like has a, a demand, yeah. is sensible and whatever? So learning to, to be able to work down that tree from possible to, to practical um, is. That, that's a big engineering skill. And, and I, I know long-term, like, real legit graduated engineers that have never gotten past plausible, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, uh, you know, for, for, for me working, you know, doing what we do, sometimes it's convenient, sometimes it's not. But for, for YouTube, you really don't have to do, like, anything other than the first P. Is, yeah. is it possible? Yeah. Plausible, you kind of have to take into account because of, like, time frames and cost. But, yeah, like, we've had ideas that would take a lot longer than right. could keep people's attention spans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, most of my ideas are that. <laughs> so, so really, we have two. We only have the two. We definitely don't ever have to get to practical. I don't know. Yeah. Some, of, some of your stuff is, is, is practical in so much as the fact that it works, right? Right, right. You know, like, like but I, mean, you, from I can, a, I can yeah. go out and get in the kernel and drive it around the track. Yes. And well, it, it, it would be three-wheel drive. One of the okay. axles is broken. Well, whatever. You know what I mean. Yes, of course. You know, the, there, there's, there's the, you do make it as far as practical. And because, yeah. you know, a lot of what you build, a lot of the things that you make, are constrained by what you have. You're yep. you're working in a little shed with an yeah, exactly. droid and a couple of grinders. Yeah. Right. That that inherently pushes you into the practical. That's true. Right. 
Um, so yeah, so you do got you guys do make it impractical. You, you this is not the production practical. You definitely live in weird. Yeah, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> uh, don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure if you you, you marketed it and spooled it right, you could you could sell kernels. Oh yeah, if, it, it's if, it, like it's it has there yeah. is there is the potential to do that, and I can hook you up with a bicycle factory in China that can make the frames pretty mm. easily. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the ability on that might be a little. Yeah, too. don't 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 tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> we don't actually want to produce them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, uh, regardless of how much insurance they're, they're, or liability. Realistically you speaking, think about it. People like they, there are companies that are making stuff that's considerably more dangerous. Yeah, that's like true. you can buy one of those jet boats without having to build it yourself. Yeah, and those are crazy nuts dangerous right off the bat. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's true. You can crash into a cliff yeah. and sink. Hell, it and, like think of all the people that are selling. You know crazy stupid aftermarket turbo kits for can-ams and stuff like that right yeah you know yeah well at people least, die at least those things. things have seat belts and roll cages uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the people in them never wear them well but they have seat th- this is something that, that, that most people don't understand as far as regulation safety regulations and things like that um most of them are customer mandated they're not government regulations Mm, the seatbelts so, and stuff? Or well, no, seatbelts and things like that. There are definitely things like seatbelts and, you know, choking hazard sizes and things like yeah. that where there are government regulations that you cannot manufacture a product like this. But this was a big problem when I was in the toy industry is we would fight with all of these, you know, crazy safety regulations that, that you know, for, you know, output of LEDs and how bright they could be and, you know, what sort of protections you had to have on a battery and da 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 And most of them... Were not nece- were not government mandated. They were Walmart says it must be this, mm. or even worse, the company I work for says it must be this, or Walmart won't buy it. Even if Walmart's completely not aware, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So this is actually one of the reasons, like that that vaporizer that I mentioned earlier. Um, that's an industry where you can ship a gla- gasoline sock soaked block of oak. It doesn't matter. You know, there's zero regulation, zero, huh. none. Certainly Jeez. at the time. Right, so you know, the, so the, the there was no no customers were going. Do you have CE regulations on this? And can you show me the uh, the fireproof rating of the da 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 da? No, didn't care. None, yeah. none of that. Right, um, and to be honest, the the, the, the you know the, the Arctroid fits in one of those categories. There's minimal regulation that right. that covers. That makes, I mean, covers that, that sort of sense. thing. Um, you know, we have CE certification, which is uh, the European standards, and that's uh, accepted mostly worldwide. Um, I don't, I don't have anything specific for North America to be able to ship in here, and it's not, and it's not mandated. Like I don't have um, for the plasma cutter itself. There is, there is one set of regulations you have to meet, but I don't suppose yeah, plasma right, cutter yeah. um, sort of thing. But even, even that, think about it. The plasma cutter is basically a lightsaber. Right, you know, like you, you're holding a stick with a big flame sticking out of the end of it, right? That how we, how do you safety that, right? Yeah. So a lot of a lot of the safety regulations that go into consumer products, anyway, um, are either mandated by the customer or are self-imposed by the manufacturer. Hmm. Um, there are there are there's a litany of government-imposed regulations, but most of them don't restrict you from import or sale. They only restrict the only change your liability depending mm. on the uh, depending right. on the, you know what happens right um so yeah um so as far as the kernel goes um there is technically no regulation that says you need a seatbelt on that right yeah. probably a good idea 
Yeah. Like the fact that the Barbie campers got a roll cage and a seatbelt makes just a skosh safer. Yeah, as is demonstrated by rolling man yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I've I've rolled the colonel and I uh, don't know how I didn't break my leg. Yeah, yeah. It, it landed the full seven hundred pounds of it landed on the right on the front of my shin, yeah. the steering wheel. And yeah. most of us has rolled the Barbie Jeep and just been We're, totally fine. Yeah, yeah, lucky. You, you yeah. fling out of it and whatever. Yeah, it does fling you out rather nicely. The colonel <laughs> yeah. less so. But yeah, you're a little yeah. more hunkered down on yeah. the colonel. Yeah. Which yeah. after some Google searching, I have been recommended a lot of videos of people crashing just regular go-karts, which are obviously really common and you could buy anywhere. And it does seem like if you really just check somebody or a wall at full speed, you just get ejected, mm -hmm. which would probably be better than being waist strap restrained oh yeah you, no you honestly you, you don't want to get ejected yeah unless yeah. it's unless it's got a roof you don't want to you don't want to have yeah, a seatbelt can you imagine having a seatbelt on a motorcycle yeah it'd be so the, the worst possible thing you could do yeah, yeah. you know um so yeah so the, there's the the yeah. it is entirely plausible and even possibly practical that 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 colonel could become a product and be marketed. Yeah. I'm not sure that you're particularly inclined to go there. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no. It's a, nope. it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty big leap. But yeah. You know, yeah. It, 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 you know, you just need to be able to, like, and it, it, that part of that is, you know, um, risk tolerance. Right. Right. Um, you know, and that, 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 that part of being an entrepreneur is taking risks, you know. Right. Like, it took a lot of risks to get the Arcdroid going, but, yeah. you know, and there's still probably something hiding in the weeds that's going to come out to bite me at some point, but, no, yeah. right. How do yeah. you do insurance for that kind of thing? Is the company based in Hong Kong, so it's a little bit different? Or yeah. Is it um, the thing about Hong Kong is, like, I can get product liability insurance for Hong Kong, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily cover me in U.S. and oh, Canada. So you need different insurances well, for everywhere you ship. In theory, yes. Okay. Um, I've I I have I I have a combination of of. A, a small level of liability insurance and then a, uh, essentially self-insured, right? Mm -hmm. I have a, I have a slush fund that's there to cover something that might go wrong. Uh, and that's a completely valid way to insure. Like, you know, there's plenty of people who do that, but I don't, it's very difficult to like, without being a large scale corporation, first of all, all the liability is mine. Realistically speaking, if, if something went really sideways, um, fold the company and move on. Yeah. Right. Um, the, that's not really an option if you're, you know, a company that has, you know, a thousand employees and three offices and in, in, you know, four different parts of the world and whatever and, yeah. and things like that. So, you know, as, as I grow, that obviously becomes bigger and bigger part of the, the, the matrix, but um, it's, you know, it, it, it's not as prominent because I'm small business than I, than it would be otherwise. Oh, okay. So. Makes sense. Secrets of the common man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a dude trying to make art droids, man. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I'm so curious about it all because I've just heard so many people say, oh, it'd be so cool to do this. But not only have you done this, but you've done a bunch of successful a bunch things of this that is have actually A bunch of this is, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, people actually paid for. Yeah. It's not even like scratching your own itch and, you know, you have your own little robot arm that cuts your stuff for you for your rally car. Mm -hmm. It's like, you've got to dial to a point where everybody else wants it because it's what they wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, to bring, bring a market a product to market, you know, first of all, you have to have something that sets you apart from right. other things yeah. in that market, right? And I need, it needs, it, you know, you know, you can come out and 
market exactly the same thing as the other guys guys making, but you better be willing to outmarket the guy, you know, outspend the guy to make mm. the money, right? So you I, know, I feel like we deal with a lot of companies that are doing that, and it, that's oh, what yeah. we are is their yeah. Yeah. attempted outmarket. But, like, but you also de- you also deal with some you know, like Ameribrade. Oh yeah, makes yeah. unique, they, yeah, unique absolutely. grinders, and they're good grinders. And Rogue Fab makes yep. good banders. Absolutely, no, I was thinking unique. of like the stuff that we do. Just that isn't tools we use so much as products we just advertise. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like the battery bank, solar panel yeah, setup thing. There's a million Jack- companies like Jackery, that. Jackery is yeah. literally just a marketing company. Yeah, they, they don't they, they, they don't market they don't manufacture anything. They're just a marketing company. Right? Yeah. and that's that's a valid way to do things. And sure. that's that's quite often what you'll see on Kickstarter type stuff. Is those like really slick Kickstarter campaigns, and that's just a marketing company, really. Right. Like all the like they they don't have a twenty thousand times. They got a you know two million spend, and they make you know one point eight on the on the on the on the Kickstarter, and that's successful because that drags them into the realm where they can make another two on the the, the follow on from the Kickstarter kind of thing. Um, I t- I go from the other end of it, right? I try and make money on my first one. Yeah. Right, because then you know that when you make a hundred, you can make even more money. Yeah, exactly. I like that way of doing it way better than running in the black. Like Amazon wasn't making money until a couple of years ago, yeah. just losing millions and millions of dollars constantly. Well, the, the they're just buying market share, though. Yeah, exactly. So, like, the, the, in order to have a like a successful product, something new, you know, I look at it this way: you like, got to have something like I said, separates you, mm-hmm. that makes you different, you know, and and it has to be substantially different. In so much as the fact that people go, ooh, as opposed to, huh, you know, yeah. and 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 then and then you need to be able to manufacture it free of ego, certain certain parts of ego. Like I've seen people fail uh, with products where they were so certain that the way they were doing it was, was the right way. To do like, it. Oh, this is exactly the way. No, oh, this is because it, in their brain this was perfect, right? And they wouldn't. They wouldn't accept a you know compromise or a change or a, you know or something that might have made the thing that much more successful or even get off the ground, right? And move it from the plausible into the practical. Um, so you need to you need to like, don't get me wrong. There's a whole lot of things about this. Like as an engineer, the, one of the problems you have when you design a product is you only ever see what's wrong with it, mm. right? And it took me years to learn that. I would go to trade shows with product that I oh, I'm like certain it's not gonna you know oh my god you know oh we're done. and then we show up the trade show and everybody loved it. I mean, I can. That's that's how I feel about everything we've ever built here. Yeah, N- like it's hard. To none say. of it's even sort of perfect. Yeah, like you, all you, you, the, you like the kernel is like the most perfect thing I've ever built, and there's still so many oh, things that I want to change yeah. on it that are not right. Absolutely. That 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 is that is the creator's curse, right? right. You know, you you only see the compromises or the things you yep. didn't get done or the things you weren't able to include. Or the things that aren't perfectly straight. Or yeah, the, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> the stuff that's not square, da, da, yeah. whatever. That's a that's that's definitely a problem. And it took me years to try and to learn to get over that. Right. Um, and and that's where I kind of talked about the idea of a sufficient product versus a better product. Right. And that and that's part of the bringing a product to market. Understand when it's good enough. Right. right, and that's a real trick for a lot of people. A lot of people will, will just keep beating on it and add Wi-Fi and whatever, right? Um, so, and then of course the, the the biggest problem with bringing it in the market is having the money to do it and spending the money on the right things. Yeah, right. Um, you know, for a marketing company to spend all the money on the marketing and quite often very little on the product. So, you know, Kickstarter is just littered with with you know really successful campaigns that made blah blah million dollars in the campaign. And never shipped a thing, or shipped 
total crap or whatever, you know, and, don't, and the company, you know, went from being a successful Kickstarter to a startup to 35 employees in a, you know, in, in San Diego and 25 more in New York and then two rounds of, of venture cap funding and then five years later they don't exist. And, and are they trying to make something from the beginning or is it kind quite, of a no, scam? Quite, o- quite often. No, quite often. No, they, they, very few of them are scams. So they, they, most of the people are doing this, are like, are at least the ones that trying. I've dealt with yeah. anyway, and mm-hmm. I've dealt with a lot, are like, they genuinely believe what they're doing is the, is the right thing, mm-hmm. right? The, the thing that most often kills these things is um, funding because funding brings strings. Funding brings a board of directors or, mm. you know, two creative directors or marketing guy or da 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 And now... Now it's not your vision anymore. Now it's their vision, right? And it's and it and it you know dilutes things and it makes it difficult. To, and sometimes the product's good and great and it rises to the top and does well and su- survives. And sometimes it just languishes with a what the hell's going on? Is this going anywhere? Kind of stuff. And it, you know that that I think that's that's true of any business or any kind of product, whatever. So my approach has always been to keep it as small as possible to keep myself mobile and fast and whatever understand that i'm building a sufficient product not a better product um and then not reach for the stars right off the bat right like not i don't want to like i'm not trying to be a 10 million dollar company first year right right um and you know i'd I'd like to be a 10 million dollar company at some point that Mm -hmm. wouldn't be bad but uh, i'm not going to complain to be a better rally car you could have a much better (laughs) rally car or three of them yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) What do you think separates the the good inventors that come up with a product, it's successful, they sell it, versus the inventors that don't get that done? Because you see, like, on the, at least I've seen on the TV shows, there's people who have this, like, wacky idea that they're just dead set on and it just doesn't work and they don't rewrite the wheel. I mean, you've given a lot of kind of good tips and advice for, like, how to start, like, the business side of things. Mm-hmm. But what do you see in, like, the actual people where, like, I'm sure you could meet someone, hear their idea, and you would just know that that's not going to work or that's going to work. Like, you'd probably know. Oh, yeah. I've I've met a lot of inventors (laughs) in my life. I've dealt with a lot of them. And, and, you know, and went, really? So what's what's the difference then? Um, Again, ego is a big part of it, right? Um, If you're you're not willing to let go, if you're not willing to, 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 like, compromise, it will fail almost guaranteed. Mm. Um, uh, and and then some people just aren't that bright and have, think they have a good idea and it's not it's a great not idea. Good. You know, that happens a lot. Um, but, and then there's luck. Luck is part of it too. Like, uh, I worked for Spin Master and during the years when Bakugan was big, I don't know if you remember that, the little, little ball, you know, plastic toys, you threw it and they landed on a card and went, and sprung out into a character and there was a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a cartoon network series we oh. looked like anime and went with, with everything, everything the guy that invented bakugan showed up with a couple of pieces of like you know a4 paper with some sketches on it right and then he got lucky he can't he went to the right company he went to spin master and there was a couple of people at spin master that went, "Ooh, you know what we could do with this hmm. and then ran with it and at one point bakugan was 400 million a year in Jeez. you know in in revenue and that dude with the pieces of paper paper was getting a royalty on every single one of them. Wow! Right? Not Does a huge work like, like that? two three percent. If or something. you pitch the right idea, you still get a royalty. Less, less and less because yeah. mostly the 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 the, um, the the cost pressure is just ridiculous now. But um, uh, the aforementioned Mark Tilden friend that I was, he, you know, yeah, you ever remember the Robo Sapien? 
little black and white robot that farted, <laughs> walked, right? And it, oh, um, and he had like big black bulbs big on his bu- Yeah, black and, and white, r- black yeah. and white robot that waddled. I had a friend with one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robot. He invented that. That was okay. his invention. Uh, and he was also lucky enough that he got in with a company early on that he got a nice fat royalty in mm-hmm. perpetuity, which is not a thing anymore. Um, he's still collecting royalties on that thing. Wow. Uh, Why did it change? Or how did it change? And what is the, the cost pressure? Is that what you said? Cost pressures are one of it. And one of the things, and then also... And is that... And among other things, more companies doing it in-house, right? They more, just hire... Like, part people. of the reason I was hired, I was hired as an internal inventor. I was I, I was a employee whose technical yeah. job was to invent crap. So if you <laughs> invented something, you didn't get a royalty no. on if it? You're an, if, yeah, if you're an employee, you generally don't get a royalty. You're a, they, what, okay. you, what you invent on their time for them is... Yeah. Is, is their intellectual property. And cost pressure being trying to make it... Twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah, so exactly. If you're giving someone a buck every yeah, time you yeah, sell the thing. Yeah, if there's seven percent coming off the the back end of that, it really can hurt, right? Okay. So that like so seven percent royalties are gone. Three percent is more typical in the toy industry these days. Um, but I know I know inventors and and groups of inventors that that have you know spent decade or more making a living on inventing stuff and presenting it. And so there's sort of, th- when you present to a company with an invention, there's sort of three stages. There's, there's, um, you get an option where they give you a certain amount of money to say, okay, don't take this to anybody else until we get a chance to look at it. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, so, you know, they would take an option on that for 10 grand or whatever. And we get, we get three weeks to, to analyze it and, and whatever. And then, you know, if that, if that goes, through and it's, the company says, okay, we can make money on this. We can do these things. Well, okay, here's what we think we can do for sales and whatever. Here's what we think is going to work. Here's an advance. So you get an advance based on what they think they're going to do in royalties on it. And and then then when it comes to market and actually sells, they they you know quarterly d- calculate the royalties and they you got to use up the advance first, right? Same as you know music industry or something like that. An advance yeah. is not you know you got to sell a hundred thousand albums in order to pay back the advance kind of thing, right? You know, um, so, and then, you know, so if you, like, I, I know companies that have just never made it to that, you know, much past that in royalty state, you know, they've done, they, they do, you know, they do option advance, option advance, option advance. And the thing is, the thing about an option is you get the option. If they, if they turn you down, you can take that same thing, go to the next company, get another mm-hmm. option, go to another company, get another option. You know, like there, I, I've seen, I've seen inventions optioned dozens of times you know and then i've also i've also met inventors that have only really had one good idea in their life and they just right. try and repackage it and resell it over and over mm. and over again get stuck uh, on the same thing and yeah. Just, yeah yeah and and you know that's valid if you know if your if your creativity stops there that's what, but if you got lucky and made a million bucks on the first one first time why would you not try and make it a million bucks on another yeah, time right? right so um you know it's the, the idea of, of taking an invention to a company and, and, and getting royalties paid for it is harder now than it was, for sure. Um, and, and because there's there's internal resources for it. And the other thing is China's cut up, right? Like, when I went to China, the only thing they were good at was sort of building, making a, like, a, you know, a photocopy of a fax of something. You know, like, you know, like, like, they would make something that was mostly the same as what you handed them and said, here, make one of these. Okay. But they, they, because they just didn't have, partly a cultural thing. It's partly a cultural thing. They didn't really have, like the innovation wasn't there. There was, there was, there was ability to repeat or, you know, effectively or efficiently, you know, redo something that they already were taught how to do or shown how to do. 
but there wasn't a lot of innovation. And when I got there, you know, I'd say probably a year or so in, I thought to myself, you know, in 10 years, they're not going to need me. And 10 years later, they didn't need me. Mm. You know, I, I had moved, I'd moved on from the toy industry by that point and, and, you know, picking up the vape thing and whatever. But, um, the, 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 you know, the idea that they, they, they are now like a lot of the, like the toy factories, like it used to be that an American company would have an office in Hong Kong that would develop, that would deal with a Chinese company to manufacture a product that was designed here, you know, re-engineered here for production and then manufactured by this. So the toy, toy, toy company just made somebody else's startup. Mm-hmm. Right. Most toy companies in China now make their own toys. And sell them directly to Walmart. And design them and, and come up with all the ideas. The do- they do all the design and development in-house. They make the toys, they invent the toys, and they pitch them to Walmart. Walmart says, good, we'll take 100,000 of them each quarter or whatever. you right. know. Um, and that made it difficult for the company that has an office here, an office here, and you know, you know, a, a, you know promotion. And, and all the trade shows. The, tra- the, the, the toy trade shows, COVID basically just those. There is more direct resource out there. Um less you know you know less need for five middlemen right you know like like i sell everything direct like i said direct online right i don't i i in fact i signed my first distributor last week mm. i got a distributor in australia mm. machinery house uh and they they've committed to to you know a bulk order and some product you know some uh i got a couple others on the hook that i'm hoping to put together i got one in norway <laughs> you know that's hoping to that i'm hoping they can put a deal together with and stuff like that but but I'm not, I don't have a rep that's going out pitching those to distributors that are then going out and pitching those to, the, the, so there isn't the, the steps in between that there used to be. Um, and, and there's no money for that anymore, right? Because everything's so bloody expensive to manufacture and to ship and things like that. So there isn't the room for that, that kind of middleman sort of thing. And I bet the internet changed that a lot too. Oh yeah. Because they, I mean, yeah. they can just email you yeah. and say, Hey, can I have a bulk order and save some money? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and also it means that, all different parts of the world are aware of similar things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, the cultural aspect of China is like, they just don't, they didn't at the time, they had no clue what Americans wanted as a toy. Mm. Yeah, what yeah, the Chinese wanted as a toy was something that blinked and made sounds. So when I got the, when I got to Hong Kong, everything had blue and red LEDs, because blue LEDs were pretty new at the time, right? Mm. They had just kind of, you know, they just become, you know, something you could, you could buy cheaply. So had blue and red LEDs, and a song chip in it that made noise, right? Everything, everything, you know, like toy bicycle made lights and you know thing, you know, like like, and then all the knockoffs, like you know, that they, are less of a problem now than they were twenty years ago, right? The knockoffs were just a bad copy of of the 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 you know American designed thing, but then with lights and sound in it, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because that was their innovation. They were, oh, we put lights and sound in it because that cheap. We put the chip in there, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and um, but now they they have a better, much better sense because they're exposed more to it. Obviously, right. you know, there's still the Great Wall of China, and you have to have a VPN in order to watch YouTube and crap like that. But I do know do know somebody in China that has watched your channel. So wow, <laughs> really? that's cool. In mainland China, yeah, yeah, he's, oh, he's, okay. fr- he's a good friend of mine. I used to work with him at uh, one of the toy companies. He and he lives in mainland China. Um, he's actually he's actually coming over here for the first time in like three years this week he's actually going to come and visit me in canada but um he's lived in mainland china and he you know of course i've sent him all the links to your channel and he loves his stuff he's big into flying stuff he invents top flying toys he's really good at it like his toys are really good um and um uh his his first success was um a dragonfly rc dragonfly 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so it was a full, like it was big. It was like wingspan like this, but it was like it flapped. Like it wasn't it wasn't just a dragonfly shaped thing with propellers on it. Yeah. Right. It the flew wings because actually, it yeah. flew because it flapped. That's super cool. I sold quite a few of those and things like that, and uh, he did pretty well on that one. He was again early on got that good royalty, that sweet royalty. <laughs> now right. he now he makes his money partly because he's a pretty smart investor and in whatever when he's invested. So, but he also makes his money on options and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and, and advances and uh, and he's got a couple things come to market uh, recently like he's got a little little um, uh, super cheap electric rocket that goes up and then opens up and spirals back down again and things like that and he managed to sell that <laughs> I want to one of those that yeah it's, it's kind of it's kind of cool <laughs> uh, and you know like he's he's really good at design like like his stuff will always fly and fly really really well and he's <laughs> also he's been doing it long enough that he's really good at, at making stuff that's cheap and innovative and and he knows the price points, and he knows how to, you know, where to stop and put things in. So he makes good stuff. Man, what kind of toys could the people do if the, the price wasn't an option? <laughs> it wasn't a problem. Well, uh, Apple. Yeah. You know, that's wh- that's where you end up with pro- companies like Apple where it's all in the marketing, and they make really nice stuff that works really well, yeah. but it's stupidly expensive. Yeah. You know, um, and But the toy version of that, like <laughs> the expensive toys for an adult's market, I think is something that needs to be tapped into a lot more. Well, and I think that when millennials true. get older and richer, mm-hmm. I think that'll be a huge market. Like, like Because I don't want a Rolex. I don't care. Yeah. But I if mean, you give yeah. me a rocket that was like really expensive and I had a lot of money, but it was like super cool and I could fly it around my house, like, oh, yeah. All right. After the podcast, we'll talk a little bit. I know. You got all them, I internet, mean, you got all them <laughs> internet bucks. I got some skills what's on the other (laughs) (laughs) i mean we already like look at all the things that we already have like one wheels and your e-foil and like all these oh you got electric yeah Yeah. i want to try one of those one electric dirt bikes and like Mm -hmm. all of those things those are those are high-end adult toys that's That's exactly what they are that really is yeah that's a good example and you know and you know some of that stuff costs thousands of dollars. All of them. Um, and but but <laughs> even even so, even those still have price pressure. Right? Yeah. They still have you have right. to be able to make money at that x thousands of dollars. Yeah. Now it used to be back in the day that retail, like retail stuff like toys and basic consumer goods and stuff like that, you would aim for a ten x. So you would have it would cost you one dollar to make. It'd have to sell for ten dollars. Right. Oh, that's huge. That's yeah. that's huge. Um, that you think that's huge, but. There are still things to make apparel, for instance, still runs very much. They used to be a 20X. Now they, they run a 10X or whatever. But it's all about market, right? Like Calvin Klein or, you know, I don't know Calvin Klein dating myself for, for designer clothes. I have no idea who wears what, you know. <laughs> Neither like, do I. I have no, uh, I, I have no idea <laughs> what Snoop Dogg's wearing these days or I don't even know if Snoop Dogg's even relevant anymore. Like, in that case, like, you have to have that huge disparity between cost and resale because all of your money goes into marketing. Right. That's all in our market because nobody needs a set of Yeezys. Nobody. Mm-mm. Right. Um, but, you know, you're convinced or, you know, Beats by Dre or any of the, you know, the crazy, like Beats by Dre are pretty mediocre headphones, but they sell like stupid money. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in toys, there used to be 10X and then it became 5X and now it's like 3.5X because it's it price better. And, you know, in, 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 you know, in, higher end retail stuff like my, my stuff sells for a much higher price point so 10x is not really viable right, right. um you know and uh, so you know i don't i don't run on the, the crazy you know crazy numbers like that you know and i can't and i can't really push it down like the cost of manufacture down low enough to make a 10x thing viable so um you know you, if you're if you're selling general consumer goods and things like that 
you really have to be able to, to balance that cost of production versus cost of retail. Like use the, the rule of thumb for cost of manufacture, for instance, is like um, cost of manuf- materials cost outside of labor, packaging, da, da, da. Materials cost should never be more than 20% of your retail. Um, certainly for smaller consumer, like something like this would, would de- like this microphone would absolutely fit that model. Right, mm. the materials cost it. Like, so if you actually calculate the cost of this mesh and the cost of this plastic piece and da da da, da amortized mold costs and then whatever, the cost of this would be less than twenty percent of the total retail. Right, there's still other stuff that gets lumped in on top of that. There's you know there's you know the, the marketing, the overhead, you know your people, buildings, da da da, da whatever, mm. packaging, assembly, uh, yeah. testing, da, da, da and then of course you know you know manufact the physical manufacturing cost of assembly and stuff like that. So. You know, and that, that that's that's where some people fail in their business. Like somebody, like let's just say, sake argument, it costs you, you know, fifteen hundred bucks to build a kernel, which it definitely costs you more than that. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> let's say, you think, oh, it cost me fifteen hundred bucks. I sold these things for two thousand dollars. I'm making money. No, you're not. <laughs> that's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> if I sold that for fifteen thousand dollars, I wouldn't be it's, making money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but theoretically properly engineered and, and, and reworked and, and done at economies of some scale, yeah, yeah, not yeah. whatever, that could be a $10,000 item. Ten yeah. or you could sell yeah, that yeah. for ten or $12,000 and make money on yeah. it. You're we've not had, making 10X on it, but no, you're, no. You're, you could make money at 10 grand on that. With and we've had offers that high or higher. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure you have the most hours on, on our joy from anybody. You probably have more than me by I, this point. I've cut hundreds of bottle yeah. openers, hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, even the, just the first design, I think I cut 160 And you notice there isn't those. any kind of OSHA freaking ventilation system or, or filtering equipment or anything <laughs> yeah. like that out there. You know, safety shields. Yeah, no, my, my, my ventilation <laughs> equipment is that the shop, the entire shop is porous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of holes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, it's a, you know like you're right, and you got to balance the opportunity cost against the thing. You, you, right. Having having a captive audience is, is one thing, but being able yeah. to being able to you know effectively capitalize on it and not cannibalize other stuff is yeah. all yeah. this stuff. What we should do is make a really cool wheeling Colonel Sanders toy. Yeah, a little <laughs> RC Colonel Sanders that just wheelies around. Because uh, I can set you up. That, that would actually be, be really cool. I was really into X mods mm-hmm. where you can buy the, it was at Radio Shack yeah. exclusively. Mm-hmm. So that was so cool. Cause you could change like the suspensions and yep. like the different springs and, but it all came in like packs and you could upgrade your packs or get body kits for the different cars and stuff. And I can't tell you how many times X mods was referenced in a design meeting yeah. while I was working <laughs> at toys. Kind of <laughs> you been. don't like X mods. we got to do it like X mods. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they got a couple hundred dollars out of me when I was yeah, a kid. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but it's like little things like that. It just, gets your brain working in a way where you're like, oh, these stiffer springs, when you hit the bumps, it doesn't bounce as much, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going faster, but if you're going slower, you know, it's it's so much fun. And I, I've thought a lot about like a product that we could do that would really resonate with our audience, but speak to like our ethos as a company, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just going to be some random crap for the sake of buying random crap that kids could fiddle with and be inspired to do build cool I think, things. I think actually like an RC kernel and or Barbie camper would be 
hilarious. Yeah. And it'd also be like... Well, didn't, didn't they kind of start relatively RC to begin with? They, they, they were little plastic things that ran on crappy yeah. motors? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, but like a high-performance RC yeah. version of yeah. it would be, yeah, that'd like be really one funny. One with good shocks and four-wheel drive. And yeah, I don't see why you couldn't you couldn't hook that up. There, yeah. are, there are companies that do limited edition type stuff like that. Yeah. that, that uh, Lego is the world's largest tw- uh, tire manufacturer. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> because they produce more <laughs> tires than anybody else. That's uh, insane. Um, but um, I've been to one of their, their facilities, one of their factories. It's like it's all like you can eat off the floors. It's, you know, everybody's wearing hairnets. It's all super clean and everything like that. So they, they definitely take take their product really seriously. But, you know, toy sets have the problems. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of parts. And a lot of parts is a lot of money. And can you do you know, the math right in, right? Yeah. So, um, you know. Not that it, not that it would, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be viable for, for, you know, a kernel kit or something like that. But yeah. I mean, we'll it, talk offline. Yeah. Yeah. What <laughs> kind of orders, like, is it to even realistically be able to do something like, like, do you need to sell thousands to be able to even make a price point somewhat reasonable? Or could we do like 500 and have a somewhat reasonable, decent product? I don't know. That, that's a, how long is a piece of string question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd have to decide. And that's, that, that's where you come into that sufficient product thing where do where are we crossing over sufficient mm. and and you know and and not going to too too far right right so yeah i don't know there's there's uh, there, I'm, I'm sure there's some possibility there but mm. i'll wake up at 2 a.m and give you a good idea oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. it's nice you know it's premium merch yeah exactly premium He's merch. super fond of the word premium yes <laughs> <laughs> you can thank will for that uh-huh. will will that's bring, funny like, he brings uh, in he's the youngest of us by like a large margin and he brings in all of our new vocabulary. I know, I know, like, <laughs> like, you know, I watched him on the videos so I'm like, boy, that kid's over the top. And then he called me. No, and he's he, just like that all the time. he's just like that all the time. He's not over the top on camera. <laughs> he's just over the top in existence. He's just that kind of guy. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Well, thanks for chatting with us. This has been yeah, really, no problem. really fun. Really fun. And no, I enjoyed it. I think you're I'm probably glad. about ready to get on the toys and yeah, I gotta go drive around the, the yard. Camera. That's I need to get out in the breeze. I'm sweating. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> let's, yeah, so let's do it. Some windows. <laughs> yeah, so. No, yeah, I want to go rip a few things around the yard for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's I brought a helmet. so Perfect. Right. We have plenty of them anyway. <laughs> yeah. You didn't bring one. <laughs> let's go rally. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you.